Sorry, I missed your FaceTime the other day. I, you know me, I'm the worst at it. was life. I will never I, ever hold that against you. You know. Um, <laughs> and Zach and I have been talking about our trip around Thanksgiving. So awesome. you know what I was, you know what I was calling about the trip. No, I was calling about. I was like, damn, you couldn't see the spider bite. <laughs> oh, honey, you can't. <laughs> chunk off of my booty because of that spider bite like I know but I was like I was like hey we couldn't see it over here <laughs> that's because I was wearing a whole suit <laughs> um for everybody wondering what we're talking about if you guys don't remember me posting a gnarly picture of a brown recluse bite on my oh. booty Mary was the one who got me healed and she was like yep yeah, that is a gnarly brown recluse bite and I now have a chunk out of my skin due to this bite yeah and Mary um nursed me back to health but anyways this is Lou and welcome to in our in my feet in our fields in my fields <laughs> it's in all of our fields all of our fields um Lou do you want to kind of explain the premise around the show Absolutely. I mean, um, I want to welcome you, Mary. I mean, I've heard great things and, I, you know, I've, every episode, uh, every episode. No, you are pretty much in every episode. No one <laughs> lie of what you do, how you do it and everything else. Uh, how, actually, how you're my fairy godmother. <laughs> you've actually had your own podcast without you actually being on it. Well, thank um, you. I, that's that's kind of the whole idea of translocation, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so uh, the premise of in my feels is just, you know, thoughts, feelings, emotions on the inside, create your outside exterior. You know, we are, I quote from you, the architects of our, um, universes. So, um, my, my question to you guys is how, how are you feeling right now? And before you start, Mary, I already know you and Lou are going to be like soul, soulmates, like friends friends because I'm sorry, because, his, yeah. his child is named after an Asgardian. He had me at Freya. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. That is, um, um, that's why we named her that. Yeah. Of Mary, course he did. How, how, are you feeling, how are you feeling right now in the moment today, you know? Amazing. Like, uh, as always. As I really am. I just, you know, it's interesting because I've, you know, I live in Ireland and um, the Irish are an interesting people because they've, always been very conscious about um, not getting the big head or not getting ahead of themselves or not look like they're doing better than they are. It's very much so a part of the Irish ethos, which I find very strange because I tend to be someone who I'm like, dang, man, if I woke up and I'm breathing, I'm on it. I'm, you know, I'm celebrating it. And here it's kind of like, you know, it's COVID, it's COVID, it's this, it's that and all. And and I'm like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm having the time of my life and you even experienced having covid in yeah i remember what was it Feb- march Mar- march yeah um and you were feeling i remember you felt great you and i feel like a lot of that had to do with probably you know just you as a person you fight off i i don't know you have i, I don't know i feel like um <laughs> well it's kind of like when you've been dead you don't really get too worried about too much. Exactly. <laughs> Which I want I want to get into that a little bit later. Um, Lou, how are you today? 
I'm great. Um, I mean, again, for me, the lockdown has been, I have a daughter, so it's, it's been complete focus on her and Which focus on myself. Mary, Mary knows is my goddaughter. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've just been, you know, plugging along and, and actually working hard, but working smart in the sense that I'm actually picking and choosing exactly what I want to do and where I want to be. Um, and it's good to see the results of my thoughts and emotions, uh, when the resistance is down to the attraction of everything in my life. Um, so I'm kind of, it's becoming more of a fun experiment for me now. Um, how are you, Noah? Yeah. You know what? There's not many episodes where I can say that I'm actually doing really well. Um, I think a lot that Lou knows, Mary knows, you guys know that um, I definitely deal with my ups and my downs and I go through my stages and, um, you know, I get very uh, self-conscious, you know, my depression kicks in um, and that's just something I'm born with and my body dysmorphia and I definitely need, uh, Mary and I have been discussing a trip for me to go and stay with her in Ireland and quarantine there for a while. And, you know, I definitely do need to do that because I feel like lately there's been a lot of stuff weighing in on my chest and um, just some things that Mary and Mary and I have discussed that we both know I need to let go and, and get that healed. Um but, you know, right now I'm very happy with where I'm at. I'm, I'm very happy with the music I'm creating. I'm, um, you know, waking up every day so thankful that I am one of the lucky ones during this time right now. And I, I appreciate that more and more every single day. And, you know, um, if I could say one thing that I'm freaking out about it would probably be this election i would very like to get through this election um which again voter uh everybody listening please vote i'm sure this will come out after election day but but please the like we need you guys so um but yeah today i'm feeling good and i'm i'm happy that mary's on here i've been this is i've, I've been waiting to have you on the show since we started the show so um but yeah, I definitely am, you know, every time I see Mary, we, we, she does a healing. That's what we would call it. Right. She, you know, I've even fallen asleep that I just, I feel so, so much release come out of my body and, and the, and the feeling Mary gets in the room is so much release. Um, but I definitely, that's definitely way overdue, but, uh, overall to today, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And, and everybody's healthy. And that's, that's all I can be thankful for. I think, I think I'm just a little down about everything going on in the world. And, um, you know, it, it just makes me so sad that this is a place that my children could possibly grow up in, especially with this election happening and everything, you know, you just have to have your type of energy, Lou, and Mary's type of energy. And that's why I just need to, you know, get to that place, you know, where I'm, I'm manifesting all good things and not letting all the negativity from my past, you know, create my future. So how I wanted to start this office, because I've talked so much about you. Um, I kind of just wanted to, if you're okay with going from kind of like the beginning of 
you know, your childhood and when you started realizing you got these gifts and and how that was for you and your family. And then, you know, maybe we can from there go into the car crash. You've you literally um, have died and and come come back to life and that's not something everybody gets to experience so i'd love to just you know give everybody your story of how you started to where you got now okay you know because i i talk so much about you and i love i love for people i've read your books i've read all i've read all the books she gives me every book a very special signed copy with special mm-hmm. notes um <laughs> but i would love for people that haven't read your book um just kind of your your story because it's such a it's such a phenomenon honestly that that people it's unusual <laughs> yeah that people that people don't experience every day okay all right well i like you um have my roots in the south i live in ireland but um i'm from virginia and as um, as she says we're a little witchy we're a little yeah. witchy yeah There's, um two types of people right people who are irish and people who want to be irish <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And I'm so blessed that I got to do both of those in this lifetime. Um, yeah, so, uh, but I grew up in Virginia, and my father was a Southern Baptist minister. So you would have been, you would have spent a lot of time around that in, in your day, Noah. And um, what was interesting about him was he wasn't kind of like a fire and brimstone, holy roller, you know, Bible thumper. He was actually a, a football coach. And so, people loved his sermons and his church was full always because he had this great ability to talk about what happened on the football field on a Friday night and compare it to um, parable from the Bible or from, you know, just from whatever sacred text he was speaking about. And he just was, he was, he was really great that way. And so, but he was very devout, you know, he was Christian to the core. And um, when my mother found out that she was pregnant with me, I was the fourth. They were both in their 40s. So imagine, you know, um, I was at surprise (laughs) and um, they go to the doctor and it turns out that my mother had the German measles in the first trimester of pregnancy. And so basically they sat my parents down and went, you guys need to start getting your head around the fact that this baby is not going to be okay. Um, We're not sure what way the disability is going to come, but there's going to be something major because you've been so ill with German measles and that's just bad news all the way around. It never works that well. And so they go around, you know, they go out and they're trying to digest what they've been told. And my father, the minister gets this visit. And this is where it gets really interesting because you would think that this Christian minister, the Southern Baptist guy is going to see angels or that's going to be his messengers. And he always described it as he had a visit from two celestial beings because they didn't have wings. And, you know, like, I'm like, hello, okay, what are we talking about, ETs here? And, you know, this is totally different than what was in his box. But he couldn't deny it because it happened. And so um, he is told in this visit that not only is his daughter going to be okay, but that she's going to come in and she's going to have some unusual abilities and that her purpose here is going to be very focused and, you know, it's going to be very challenging for them. So imagine this is 1968. I was born in 69. So, you know, like, first of all, we don't have ultrasound. So like these celestial beings are like your daughter. And so my father's like, okay. And um, sure enough, I'm born, no problems. 
Uh, well, none that we know of. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, celestial beings as in human form or non? They they appeared to him in non-human form. Oh wow! What does what does non-human form look like? Um, I don't know. I you know it's for him. He always described. Uh, he knew they were being. They sounded humanoid to to me. Yep. They were glowing, um, but it was something where he was, he would get real quiet about that part because it didn't fit the description. We're okay with angels, you know, but when it's something besides an angel coming in, he was kind of like, but there it was. And sure enough, what they said came to pass. And so, um, you know, they're like, she's going to have some unusual abilities. This is going to be strange. And so a couple of years go by and I, to this day, remember being sat down at the kitchen table. I remember the chair I was sitting in and my father, you know, being that big American football coach and he had those big shoulders and that deep voice. And he said, sugar, I need to ask you a question. Do you know the difference between what it means to be alive and dead? I was four. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, I guess. Because what had happened, the only thing unusual that had been unfolding to that point was I was so close with my grandfather and he was uh, a guy called Dr. Garland Clark. He was from Kentucky, my mother's father and really, really neat guy, super smart. Um, he was always so good to me when I was a child and I just loved him dearly, but he would talk to me about stuff that was really heavy and adult, really adult, adult for a child. Correct. Exactly. And, but I just loved him to death. And so I would always talk to mom and dad and say what judge had told me this, that, and the other. And so when that conversation finally came where my father was asking me about alive and dead is when they go, you do realize that your grandfather is not alive. And oh, this wow. Is when it, that's when it started getting funky. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. You know, because okay. now at four, I'm going, is something wrong with me? Uh, are other people not doing this? And then my parents are kind of like, you can always talk to us, but let's not talk to anybody else about this. Wow. You just led me down the garden path to get my mind blown. Right. <laughs> there you go. When did he pass before you were born? Was this? I was one. He, he oh. died in 1971. Oh, wow. Okay. There we go. And, yeah, and there you go. <laughs> and he appeared to you in, in, a, in a form you would, that, that it would be anyone else. Oh, in... daily. I, you know, to the point where I didn't, when my father asked that question, I didn't know what the difference between alive and dead was because yeah. he looked as real to me as anybody else did. Yeah. And my conversations were as authentic and real and meaningful as they would have been with anybody else. So yeah. I just thought, Oh, well, you know, people come in different, they have different hair colors or different skin colors and they have the energy body looks different on this one than, than this one. So I didn't realize that this wasn't kind of the norm. Yep. Yep. What so he would tell you things that are deep in terms of life or death or mm -hmm. yes I mean, and yes. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, I started developing from a very early age this kind of unusual um understanding of how we work as human beings. And because he was a doctor, he always talked in medical terms. And so I was from the time I was tiny, I had this little plastic medical kit, you know, I used to operate on my father all the time. And I was fascinated with the fact that he would always tell me that the body was here to serve the spirit mm. and that we spend so much time trying to have these, you know, these spiritual and, and enlightened moments in our lives. And what's actually happening is that we're already enlightened. 
Mm-hmm. And we're in here having this human experience and having, ha- having all the feels that come with that. And that's, you know, we try to avoid that because it's uncomfortable when it's actually what we came here for. That's so I grew up from a very early stage of, uh, you know, stage in life, understanding that. That's, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, so young. I mean, I feel like I've developed that awareness over time. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and I always say, you know, when people, you know, reach out to me on, on Instagram and, you know, I have no meaning in my life. Um, and the point is your life is meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts, you know, from zero. I mean, your life is meaning literally. Um, but I love that. I love that. So at being four years old, I mean, I, I guess you couldn't, it's, it's like when you're involved in something so young, it, you can't separate yourself from it. So it must've been, was it, did it feel quite natural to you? It wasn't like a separation of, oh my God, this is happening to me more. Yeah. I would, I'd look back now and go, if it wasn't happening, I don't know how I would have handled that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but then again, we're here having that human experience. And it was, it was funny because of course, with my father being a minister, he was always doing eulogies in addition to sermons. And so, you know, I'd come into the room and I go, Hey dad, Mr. Jones is going to die on Tuesday. <laughs> and he's like, uh, okay. Um, where I just had this thing where I would dream something and it would come true. And so, and then I go off and do the same stuff that everybody else did. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because here at 51 years of age, um, I find my life still very much the same. You know, I could walk out of facilitating someone ridding themselves of cancer and then go home and open the back door and have to clean up the dog poop. Yeah. And that's the dichotomy of my life. And I love that because it keeps me very invested and it makes it all so real. And, you know, it's, it never allows your ego to come in and get in the way because I, you know, I still have to do my laundry and, you know, I've, I go to the bathroom, wipe my butt the same way everybody else does. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all, it's all part of it. And it's, you know, if people could just remember, we already are that which we seek. Yeah. And so what, what I'm trying to do always is bring people back to that point um, where they're not constantly looking outside of themselves for something that's already there. Mm-hmm. So when you say like, I mean, when you talk about like healing or de- the definition of healing, do, you know, cause I always separate the belief from knowing, you know, believing in something um, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to come about. Whereas, you know, something like I know there's water in my fridge, so it's factually going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you work with someone uh, who's, who's trying to heal from cancer? Um, I mean, is, is the original, cause you know, I, I'm trying to put this into terms of, you know, thoughts, feelings, emotions become things. And, and I feel for me, illnesses are manifestations of the way we feel inside ourselves mm-hmm. coming out into physical form, telling us we need to change something about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. and most people equate it to, you know, um, diet or this or that, but you know, there's people who live to a hundred who have a terrible diet, who smoke, who drink, who whatever, but yeah. you know, their, their frame of mind is always okay. Mm-hmm. So it's consistently kept them the way they are. How do you work with someone who's healing from say a cancer just to change the mindset and put the power back to them? Well, that's the most important part of the work that I do. Um, as Noah has experienced, um, whenever we're working together, we're always using frequency, right, mm-hmm. Noah? And then mm-hmm. and she's just like panned out. She loves it <laughs> because that's your language. That's your love language. Music is your love language. Um, Lou, that's your love language as well. Do you know? Oh, absolutely. And so what happens is, you know, basically if we fast forward to um, – what I learned in that death experience, you know, you arrive. Which I want to get to, I want to get to. Yeah. But it's just, just to quickly answer that question. It's kind of like 
you get in the space and you go, oh, oh my God. Oh, that's right. All we are is frequency and light. And so it's not about this one being so special or this one having all these amazing gifts. We all have that latently within us. It's the, you know, you're working in the music industry, this go, I'm, I'm working in healing right now. I work as an author. Noah works as a musician. Do you know, it's, um, it doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to do these things. It means that you can do what you do really well because you do it every single day. And I can do what I do really well because I do it every Sorry. single day. So this I can't learn smell good. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here like, I'm listening, but that candle smelled good. <laughs> I'm used to you. <laughs> we have the, the ADAD, the yeah. attention, the attention like, dialed into another dimension. I got gotcha. you. There we go. Yeah. So it's, you know, how do you work with that? You, you have to assess where that individual is and, you know, because you would be doing absolutely nothing for somebody. If you walked in and you went, you're healed. Yes. I can manipulate frequency and energy through my hands and remove something from your body. But if you don't understand why you have it, if you aren't prepared to accept why it's in your life and to go explore that, then what am I doing? Only remove it to come back again. Do you know? The job of a true healer is to be a window washer. It's wiping the window clean so that an individual can see out for themselves and they can, they can come to their own understanding. Amazing. thousand percent. Um, so, um, I mean, so you, I mean, oh, go on. No. Um, so what were you going to say? I mean, so you had all these <laughs> abilities before the actual NDE. Not, not all of these yes. abilities. I had the, I had that I could see things before they happen and I could talk to the dead grandfather. Okay. You, okay. you think your mind is blown about her talking to her grandfather and now just wait until we get into the next part and you're, you might, honestly, your head just might explode. <laughs> I love how Noah's just sitting back watching, being, just nodding like, yep. Yeah. See, She's but, waiting for the drop. She knows what's coming. <laughs> well, like every, I have nothing to, I have nothing to ask. Cause I'm like, yep. Been told that. Yep. <laughs> I know that. Like she, I sleep to the frequency. She, she made me my playlist. I sleep to the frequency. She's made me drops that I take morning and night. She, um, which actually Mary, I'm not going to act like I've been taking them morning and night. I need to get back on that. Yeah. Um, I actually need to send you pictures of the bottles and you remind me which ones to do which because I fell well, off. I'll hook you up with Angelica before she comes. She's coming over Friday. Ooh, so, um, she's she's there. She's coming here Friday with my vibe bed. My, my, Is she in uh, L.A.? She's in L.A. And she's Ooh, maybe I'll have her come over before she leaves. Catch her before, yeah. So, so she can come. It's amazing. Explain to Lou the... Um, it's frequency-based. What is... I do this thing that I hold on to a machine and it can tell you, um, bioresonance. Yeah. But what's bad in your body What's what's, you know, all of this, you can help more explain. It's, it's like bouncing about 60,000 different frequencies through the body. Okay. And so when people are like, how could that work? You know, the same way that you and I are, you know, I'm sitting in Ireland and I'm talking to you in present time in LA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're just beaming a frequency. That's and right. so when you can channel those frequencies in and they're specifically going through, okay, Noah's body is deficient in this and it's got too much of this or this and this and this is happening. You can program liquid because water has memory mm -hmm. and you can program frequency into that memory. And when she takes that, it's specific to her body and her body's needs. Is it, is, yeah. Have you heard of the indigo machines? Mm -hmm. Are they, is it similar to kind of that? But I mean, obviously uh, you're, you're doing it yourself. 
Yeah, my friend Angelica actually does this. Um, I, you know, what I do is, you know, and that that's a machine that can read for her, kind of what I've been doing my whole life without yeah. the machine. I've just got that. But this allows anybody to be able to do it, which is really cool. Yeah. Because that's, isn't that what we want? We don't want the separation. You know, yeah. like I have, a, I have a chapter in one of my books called Jerusalem because I'm like, we don't need any more gurus, you know? <laughs> 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 let's let's move away from the gurus and let's let's rediscover the idea that you know as we're helping one another along with everything that we can all access this stuff. I do want to I do want to catch her before she leaves because my I, my, my tummy my tummy's been hurting for no reason for like a, like a week or so and it just like just my tummy hurts out of nowhere I'll be like ow. Um, I would love to scan and see like if there's something okay. in my diet or like something. I'll call her as soon as we get off. Because something that Mary's, Mary's taught me a lot is like diet and, and the way you exercise your mind and the way you exercise your body all, all leads to, you know, your happiness and, and your, your comfortability with your body. You know, there's a lot of stuff that they're like, oh, stop eating that because this is what's making you feel so drained. This is what's making you. So that's what I love about the frequency thing that she's talking about, that um, it, it's helped me. It's helped my friend Francesca. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we've all really done that. And it's crazy because Mary, whenever she works on me, she will touch my body and she can feel where I'm holding all of my depression. She can feel where I'm holding my anxiety. You can, it's so crazy that, you know, just by Mary's gift of like one touch, she can feel where that negative energy is all stemming from. Um, and then the idea is then to, to show you and to give you the tools on how to continue that. Because, you know, again, it's like, that's great. Let's perform a miracle. Wonderful. That makes me feel mm-hmm. fabulous. Look at me. If you're not able to sustain that miracle every day, then what's the point? And so what we're trying to do is give you a set of tools, which is why I've worked so diligently with Greg um, Papania, the guy who created all the frequencies um, over the years uh, for me, with me, um, and now creates music with these things um, because we're literally trying to change the vibe and to allow people to know that this is something that's accessible, accessible to you. And we're not trying to create a separate uh, thing where, you know, the haves and the have nots, we, we should all have. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just teaching people how to utilize that because it's, it's when you own, you were talking earlier, Lou, about the idea of knowing something or, and owning something. I know I'm a doctor. I know I should go to the gym every day. You and I know that I don't own that concept because <laughs> I don't go to the gym every day. There's a difference. Preach, baby. Me neither. I can know. I know it's good for me. I know you know, that yeah. that's something I should do. But the difference between owning and knowing is that action. Mm-hmm. Do you know? And so it doesn't mean it, it's like how many people have you talked to and you're sharing just, you know, relevant information about something that seems quite obvious. And they're like, I know, I know, I know. Yet they still don't do it. Yeah. It's because right? we're creatures we, of habits. So. Yeah, we're creatures of habit and we're here. You're talking about me, Mary. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Are back- you directly talking about me? Yeah, I'd love to come back to the accident and okay. um, everything and, and what led up to that, like what age you were at, how you were feeling before the accident, and, and then, you know, 
Um, my favorite part is the story about the officers and all of that. And, um, I would just, you know, and then how, how your life changed once you were, you know, not, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you were, I don't remember if you were injured at all. I, I, um, after that recovery. Oh, right. You Okay. So after that recovery, what that was like, what, you know, let's start like with, um, yeah, just kind of how, how were you that day before your whole life changed and, and how did that lead into that? Yeah, well, you know, a little bit before that, I, I was in college and, you know, I was the cheerleader and, you know, that kind of typical Southern college girl. And, you know, I have these strange things where I can go to sleep and I dream something and it comes true. But of course, mm-hmm. you know, you speak about being sometimes you, you just wake up suddenly and even though you've got this album and this re- award and this, that you're self-conscious. And so mm-hmm. when you've grown up than not. Yeah. When you've grown up with these abilities, you know, then you get into an environment where you're kind of 17, 18, 19, and you're in college and, you know, you're attempting to fit in. And I just never fit in anywhere because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't um, adept at having those conversations because I've been told all my life was don't talk about this. And so it was something that, you know, my mom could call me and she'd go, Hey, and I go, Hey, you're calling to tell me Miss Smith died. And she's like, hate when you do that. (laughs) And, you know, so then I get into college and I was a cheerleader and we'd have a basketball game. And I had this awesome roommate, um, Janelle, who was no longer with us. And she was so much fun. She was my partner in crime. Uh, my ride or die Noah. And, uh, we had so much fun together. And so we had such a laugh and obviously she lived with me. So I snuck and told her and, I would write down the scores to the basketball game and I'd stick them in an envelope and put them in my underwear drawer and we'd go and we'd cheer and we'd come back to the dorm room and people would be with us and everybody'd crack open a beer and you'd open the envelope and there was the score. And so this is the extent of my service to humanity at this stage in life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so That's, when, I mean, and sorry, I mean, another mind blown moment. And so predicting is there a time limit to before the prediction or is it just something you think about and it, the answer would come to you but most of the time I wouldn't be thinking about it, it just comes yeah like I have I have spent a lifetime downloading information that I really wish that I didn't know yeah yeah you know? oh absolutely so I mean could you do things like the lottery no it's it's funny I never did I yeah. never would there's like a there's like an understanding yeah. That when you've been given this magnitude of a gift that it is never, ever something. I mean, I could abuse it, but I, I, I wouldn't want to, Do you know, that yeah. kind of way. Yeah. Um, and I'm also the kind of person, too, that if I suddenly won the lottery and became, you know, uber wealthy overnight, I love I love the anticipation. I love the unfoldment of life. That would really not suit me very well, Absolutely. Um, which might sound like it's a great excuse or whatever, but it's not. I love the art of anticipation. It's something I think that's very lost amongst humans that we we're so impatient. We don't know how to allow something to, to blossom. Mm -hmm. And so that's just never been an interest for me really. And I feel like I have won the lottery because my life is such that I wake up every day and, you know, no matter what's going on, I'm able to ask myself, you know, is the pain that you're in physically, emotionally bigger than what you want to do today? And the answer is always no. Yeah. And so like, 
that's as good as it gets really. But you know, so the kid you're talking about though is 19 and you know, having a laugh with everybody going, ah, look, there's the score. But there was always this feeling of the shoe getting ready to drop. Yeah. So in the South, when you're dating someone in college, typically what happens is your mother's picking out the China patterns. You know, you know how it is, Noah, down, down Tennessee way. It's, you know, we crystal and China and, um, you know, they're prepping you. And so I was dating somebody that last year of college and he was from Charleston, South Carolina. And so we ended up moving to Charleston um, to start our lives after, after college. And so we graduated in May and it was December 14th of 1991. So we had just gotten out of school that year. And um, with my big college degrees, I was working in a sign shop, mopping the floors. That's the only job I could get. And it turns out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me because the people who mentored me were like, you learn every job you ever take in this lifetime from the bottom up. You will never, ever regret that. Mm -hmm. And so I loved my job. You know, I've got my big four year university degree and I've got a mop in my hand and, but I loved the people I were turn into something else. And I knew I was where I needed to be. And so we were having our Christmas party. And so it was 14th of December. It's still hot in Charleston at that time. I had on a, a Santa Claus t-shirt and Bermuda shorts. <laughs> and I had made it about a mile from my apartment and I was sitting at an intersection um, of highway 17, which is a, a quite a large highway, um, lanes coming this way, lanes going this way. And what I was going to be doing was going across the traffic and turning towards town and Charleston, you know, at the time, big enough city, it's about 350,000, you know, not it's pretty good size for a, a Southern town. Um, but I was at that stoplight and I was waiting, waiting, waiting for the light to turn green. And so when my light finally turned green, I started moving across the traffic. And when I got to that last lane, I look and I see a car barreling towards me. Now, the police estimated afterwards it was 75 miles an hour. Oh my God. And so this guy was not stopping. And so it turns out it was a very elderly gentleman who'd almost killed a couple earlier that year. Shouldn't have been driving at all. Um, but I'm glad he did because if he hadn't, I would have never died and we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. So um, he's coming at me and this is when my whole world changed. Everything that I knew turned on its ear. And you would think for someone who'd grown up kind of seeing the dead grandfather and having the dreams, that was as big as that sounds to some people. It was really quite a small part of my life. You know, the rest of my life was what I would consider quite normal. And so, um, in that moment, as I'm looking, I realize that everything has almost ground to a complete halt around me. And I'm like, everything's just slowed down. And suddenly I realized that I had a choice that I could stay in my body and experience the impact of this vehicle, which was going to hurt because it was coming directly at my door or I could go. And I was like, Oh, how interesting that I know that I have that choice. And so I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to take option B because that's going to hurt. And mm -hmm. so out I went. And this was my real first introduction to frequency because there was this sound. There was this drone in the background. Um, I love Irish music. I play traditional Irish music over here. Um, you know, for me, sitting in a pub by the fire, um, I play the Bowron, which is the round Irish drum. And, 
you know, we have these great trad sessions, but my favorite in the session is the Ilian pipes and it's a bagpipes that's piped under the arm and it has this beautiful drone. And to me, that sound always means we're getting ready to have a great session. And I love that sound, but this is what it sounded like. There was this low vibration that I have since come to learn was keeping me anchored to my body at that stage. And so there's that sound. And next thing, all I know, whoop, I'm up and I'm looking down and there everything speeds back up. I watch the car slam in and it T-bones my car, folds my car in half. My head goes through the window, my neck breaks and I'm watching all of this. And this is where people are always like, were you not just freaking out and so upset and trying to get back into your body? And the best way I can describe it is, you know, you guys have just been through a nice big uh, heat wave out there in LA. And imagine if you were outside and you'd been working outside or doing whatever, and you're nasty and you're sweaty and you came in and you peeled those clothes off and you threw them next to the washing machine. You go in and you have this glorious shower and you're washing all the muck and the grime off. The last thing that you are thinking about is the dirty clothes next to the washing mm -hmm. machine. And this is exactly what it felt like looking down. I had respect for the fact that, that that body had just taken me through 21 years, but I was not trying to get back in. I was just totally in acceptance that, Oh, I've done this before. I, I, I remember how this works now. And, um, it was quite extraordinary. And the part that Noah was talking about that she liked was with the officers, you know, that I'm looking down and I can see this car spinning through my body is in the car. My neck is hanging there broken and the car stops and people are gathering and there's an officer who comes up and he reaches in, he, all the windows had blown out and he reaches in through the driver's side or the passenger side and he turns the car off so that the engine doesn't blow up. And it was then that I noticed him and I noticed a girl I'd gone to college with. Now, remember I said there were 350,000 people. And so from this kind of bird's eye view, I'm watching someone who had lived with me in college for four years, recognize me and I could feel her anxiety. And I was not trying to go, stop, stop. It's okay. I'm okay. I was just feeling that feeling. I was very present in that moment. And it was something that really stuck with me, um, that sensation. And so it was then that that sound changed, that drone changed into this beautiful frequency of music. This, I call it the music of the spheres because I've never heard anything here like it. I've been trying to recreate it my entire adult life. Um, but it was the most beautiful, it was this, these feelings and, and frequencies that you could feel going through your body. Um, but there was no body. And next thing I'm not in this space watching the accident anymore and whoop, I land somewhere else. And so I'm in this beautiful space where this atmosphere around me is palpable. And this was when I meet my own two beings. And so it took me a little while. They were very patient and realized that these were my guardians. And I was like, Oh my God, these are my guard. Oh, shh, we've got guardians. Mm -hmm. Crap. This is real. And everything that I had been taught in church growing up to believe would happen. Nothing like that happened. Mm -hmm. Absolutely nothing that I had been told to believe would happen upon my death happened. And it was so much bigger, so much better. Um, so much broader. Um, I had always found the way that I'd been raised while I loved the idea of community. Um, and I love the idea of, of the, of the 
the power of a congregation, the idea of belonging to something exclusive that left anybody out, something where everybody wasn't welcome, never sat with me as a child. It just didn't gel with who I was. And so I get into this space and I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, this is how it really is. That craving, that wanting it to be away was because I already knew it was. And I just got the chance to remember it in that death. Amazing. Can you, can you just, I mean, I know I've, I've read a ton of NDE books and, mm-hmm. um, and every single one is so it's different because you know, for me, you manifest things in your life just as you manifest things in, in death too, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, beliefs or whatever. Um, what do they look, I mean, I know it's, it's probably difficult to explain exactly what they look like because you've probably never seen, it's like, you know, it's like your, your dad explaining, the two beings to you in, in human form, you can't really do it because if it's something you haven't seen, how are you supposed to describe it? But I'd love to know like what they looked like, what did they say, how, how you know. That so t- they, I can describe them very easily. Yeah. You know, my father was the one who had a difficult time describing what I'm probably pretty sure were the same thing, but his guardians. Yep. Um, and so I think because, you know, there I was freshly dead, I think for my benefit that they, they gave a human appearance because I'd literally had just gone through. And so um, they were male in appearance for me and they were um, actually quite elderly, but just very vivacious, full of life, Um, but more a light body than a physical body, but, but yet still one of form. It was me who no longer had the physical body, yet I still felt cohesive. I felt like that energy that was still in a solid form. And so these guys looked like these elderly, um, elderly guides and I didn't have to use a mouth and they didn't use a mouth with me. It was, they just spoke and I could understand them. And so at that stage, um, probably one of the most extraordinary things to, to date that still has ever happened in my experience of being me, um, is this life review that I went through because, you know, you hear these stories and that kind of cliche life review thing. And, and I'm like, it was so incredible because it changed my entire perception of what it means to live because, you know, we have this linear concept of time, time marches forward, time marches backwards when actually it's concurrent, it's happening simultaneously, but to be in the space where you now own that knowledge as opposed to knowing that is a whole different vibe. There you are. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, It's like I'm in a 360 cinema and it's happening all around me simultaneously. And I was like, Oh, that's how this works. Oh God. Yeah, that's right. Because I'm three years old over here. You know, I'm five years old getting lost at Virginia beach and my parents think I've drowned. I'm 17 and I'm being gang raped over here. I'm 12 years old and I'm winning the the spelling bee at school. And you know, I'm all of these feelings are happening simultaneously. And I was like, and you get that sudden remembrance, that realization that we tend to set up camp in certain feelings. And what we're always talking about here on this podcast is in my feels, where are you right now? Where are you in this moment? And it became so obvious to me in this experience that I'm in all of these moments and My body or my mind or my heart or my soul can choose to spend more time in a feeling than others. And we tend sometimes when we're not feeling the best to gravitate towards the ones that don't feel well. 
because we're attracting that in and we want to kind of sit in that space until we don't have to any longer. And when you're watching your life unfold in front of you, all of a sudden you realize the really big things, the things that you think would matter the most, they actually matter the least. Last question. Mm-hmm. My biggest fear, I think, I think you and I have talked about this. I think I cried to you about this or somebody about about them or somebody but i think i had to have been you maybe not nothing special <laughs> um my biggest fear i think it was part of the pro one of our podcasts but my biggest fear about death is being shown that movie that that we, what, we did what, talk about this we yeah. did so that was with and i cried and i yeah that that is my biggest fear Okay, well, and, let, and me, I, let me tell you this. Is it, is it sad? Like, because I, the reason I don't, when I think of death, I don't think of it as I'm scared of the action of dying. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not scared of closing my eyes and, and, and death. I'm mm -hmm. scared of a painful death. I'm scared of dying painfully. That's, that's something I think anybody's afraid of, but my, my actual fear is, is what you saw. I don't, I'm almost too sad. I feel like I, I I'm scared. It, it would make it a, a sad experience of seeing my mom, my family, my life, my everything that, that ending that that's my fear. Um, I could cry thinking about it. Like I, I don't, I don't want that to happen. Um, yeah. And so what, you know, what I wanted to ask for you is I know that, you know, they, they showed you that um, I call it the movie, that little, I think you called it a movie. I called it a movie too. Yeah. Yeah. They showed you that little movie and, and then I believe they gave you a choice, right? That you could stay with them or or return to earth with 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 your gifts and mm -hmm. and and continue to serve people with your gifts. Mm -hmm. uh, I would love for you to um, be able to tell people a little bit about that and and what what that was like and um, what was what was when you got to the hospital, all of that, you know, okay. after you got that um, message from them, what was your feeling when they, when they gave you that choice? Was it, man, this is so heavenly that I want to stay? Or was it, did you get that painful feeling of sadness where, where did that movie make you sad? Okay. Yeah, we did. We actually did talk about this. And um... I remember I was distraught. You were distraught. <laughs> yep, you were. You were like, I, I don't want to see the movie. But what's so fascinating about the movie is that the movie is what makes everything okay. Because when you're thinking of the movie right now, or anybody who's hearing about the movie right now, we're thinking with a human brain and five senses. Remember, you're free of that by the time you're watching this movie. So you're watching this movie with a very different set of eyes. Okay. You are watching this movie from a space of this divine, omnipotent, eternal, amazing being who decides to go and throw on a meat suit and come down to earth and walk through and take on all of these challenges and, and all of these human emotions. And 
you get back into this space and you're like, that was awesome. Right. It's not a case of you're like, uh, Oh gosh, that was so sad. And this, because now you're back in a space of understanding. It's not, yeah, but I, my, now my grandmother's not here. Now my, this isn't here. You know, you're not thinking from that perspective because you know how that actually works. You understand that nothing can harm who they really are, that they continue on. And you, while watching, are no longer in a physical body either. So you're not dying to get back into that body to see them the way that you used to know them because suddenly you remember, oh, I've always known them. They can't leave me. They're always going to be with me. And so your perspective is completely different. And so for me, that idea of seeing something concurrently, because so many people that I work with in my sessions, um, they'll land in here with issues, whether they're emotional or physical, that nobody can figure out. I always get the people who get dropped on my doorstep or as a last resort. And um, what happens is when what we call past lives, just to make it easy, because it's kind of hard for some people to get their idea around the idea that things are all happening, happening simultaneously. Um, but let's say just for, for giggles, let's call it past lives and that they realize that something is happening in that experience that is affecting them in present time. You have that understanding then in that space when you're watching that movie. Oh my gosh. You know, so I'm able to look back at that and, you know, you heard me say in that, past that I made, you know, there I was 17 being gang raped. I wouldn't change that for the world. I have helped so many people because of that experience. And because I know that I'm not my body. I believe you know? it was, um, not Duncan, but who, who said it happened for me, not to me. Uh, Damien, Eccles. Damien, Damien, Damien Eccles. He said yeah. it happened. He, if you, do you know his story? Mm-hmm. Yes, he when we had him on the podcast, he said, I, "You know what, Noah? It, it didn't happen to me; it happened for me." Absolutely. Um, is that how you feel about when you know you did get gang raped and you you did go through all of this t- trauma? You you truly believe that it, it happened for you? Oh, absolutely. Do you know? Um, I had I had the opportunity in that moment um, as a. 17, 18 year old girl to completely change how that was going to impact my life. And I made a choice and I'm glad that I did. And I really attribute the fact that I was probably a little ahead of my time in my thinking because of all those visits from my grandfather that I was able to go, you know, I can be a victim of this for the rest of my life. And I don't take away from anybody who's choosing to have that experience. There are people who sit here at my age who are raped at your age and they've given the last 30 years of their life over to this. And it's literally shown up and made an appearance in every single thing they've done. I don't have the right to judge that. I don't, that's their experience and how they're choosing to experience life. For me, I'm able to look back and go, okay, that happened to my body. It sucked. I really wouldn't like that to happen to me again. And I don't want it to happen to one of my daughters, but I also have no control over that. I can only take what happened and I can utilize this when I'm helping other people to identify with, because when I've spoken to, you know, gosh, how many women's groups and um, victims of, of, of sexual abuse and incest survivors and all, you know, when you're speaking from this vibe of having been there and experienced it and come out of that transformed, it makes a real impact because people are able to connect with you on a different level than of you're just speaking about something in theory. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've been through that betrayal and that crucifixion and that resurrection metaphorically, 
People can see the footprint. They know. And so everything that's ever happened to me, no matter how difficult it was, I'm so grateful that I'm able to approach people with authenticity and go, you know, when I say to you, oh my God, the last thing you need to be afraid of is dying. I mean that. Been there, done that, came back, ready to do it again when the time comes, you know, and I can speak about that from a space of it is absolutely nothing like we've taught ourselves to believe it is. And I, and I, um, before we, but we, I, I do want to say, so when, when, when you woke up, you were in the hospital, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, you've made your choice to come back and mm-hmm. um, they told you for, it, for, for you to come back, you would be using your gifts, right? That, that was to help the world. Um, can, uh, what was what was it like in the in the hospital room when you woke up and were asked these questions and that you were able to explain that no one could understand? Well, so I was in the bed. I wake up and, um, you know, first of all, when when they strapped me down in the board and put me in the ambulance and I woke up in the ambulance and I was freaking out and I'm like, ah, you know, talking about is dad that, dying. Is, is that when you came back was yeah. in the ambulance? Okay. And, um, so there's this lady in there and she's stroking my head and she's like, it's okay, sweetie, we're not gonna let you die. And I'm going, I've already been dead. (laughs) And you know, you're just like, who do I tell? What do I say? What just happened here? And, you know, people might go, how do you know that wasn't just a head trauma? You know, you hit your head and broke your neck. How do you know that that whole experience? Well, I get to the hospital and in walks this officer and he said, exact word. You can hear it. Picture it in your daddy's voice, Noah. You're one lucky little lady, you know, Mm -hmm. that big, thick Southern accent coming through. And I'm looking at him and all of a sudden I went, Oh, I know you. And I'm talking funny because I don't even realize that my neck's broken at this stage. I can't swallow properly. So I'm like talking like this. And, and, and he goes, do you feel well enough to tell me what happened? And I said, okay. And he said, do you remember the person running through the red light? And I said, yeah. And I said, you should ask my old college suite mate because she was a couple of cars behind me. And he kind of looked and I said, and there was a woman who put her name and phone number on the front seat of the passenger side of the car. And he looked at me and then he, and I said, Oh, And the guy in the uniform who reached in and turned the ignition off. And then I stopped and I looked and I went, that was you. And he closes his little notebook and he's like backing up from me and he's looking and he's like, there's no way you could know that. I was there. I'm the one who had to get the car door off. You're, you know, I was there. And it was in that moment for both of us, we both realized, uh oh, something happened here. And um, that's when I knew it to be real. It wasn't a figment of my imagination. It wasn't something where I'd hit my head too hard or, or anything. I watched his reaction because he was the one I, I pulled your dead body out of that car. There is no way that you know what you just told me. And I'm just sitting there and I just went, oh boy, do you know? 
And so you go into this space of where I've talked to other people who've had near-death experiences and I speak on that circuit all the time. I know a lot of people who went into a very deep depression, very deep, because I actually describe in one of my, my books that that space, it, it's, it's so beautiful, it hurts to remember. That they almost want to be there. Yeah, that they regret having come back. Now, I can't say that I had that regret. I remember the space and I remember that feeling of un- utter homecoming but I actually really have such a deep appreciation for the fact that I've got such a short period of time here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that whether you live the 80, the 90, the hundred years, you know, that's such a short window of time to be this girl. Um, I can be lots of other people and I might have other life experiences, you know, as somebody else, but this girl, I only get once as this one. And it's just, you know, it's phenomenal because, you have this new understanding and appreciation for the fact that everything you do, I don't care if it's um, a podcast or if it's doing the laundry or cleaning up that dog poop, it's all part of being here. It's all part of being part of this three dimensional world that we live in, which is not where we come from. Mm -hmm. um, Sorry, Mary. uh, Go ahead. Um, why? Cause I, cause I, I obviously read a ton of NDE books and, and everyone always says, you know, especially when you read, um, books on children passing and they kind of have a clearer understanding than, than the kind of adult mind. Um, why do we come back? And I, I, I know, I mean, I want to hear this from your perspective, but you know, I know we're here to learn, you know, love, pain, heartache, you know, pleasure, all those type of things. The, the difference is how I live my life is I accept those. Mm-hmm. I don't fight against them. If I'm feeling sad, it's okay. If, you know, it's okay to feel sad. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an emotion. Um, why, I mean, from your experience, why, why do we come back or continue to come back, which will lead on to reincarnation? Yeah. Well, we're, you know, we're fractals of the same whole. And it's, so it's, I've, I've been asked that question so many times and the best way I can describe it is, um, okay, we're all in a lockdown right now, or we're, we're more locked down than you are in our, over here in Ireland at the moment. We're back in a six-week hardcore lockdown. And um, a lot of people have gone out and they've invested in their home entertainment centers. We've got some nice TVs going, you know, and some sound systems and people are filling up that fridge and they're sitting in their living room with the family and they're kicking back and they're like, this is kind of awesome. Do you know, I'm watching this movie. I've got the remote control. Um, I can go to the fridge. I need to pee. So let me pause this and I can come back and pick up where I was. It's amazing. So now imagine you've been doing that and then lockdown lifts. Bless you. And Oh, bless. Wait, did you you hear that? I saw it. Did you? No, I saw it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause I muted it. <laughs> Thank you. Did you? Um, so imagine then the lockdown lifts and phone rings. It's your best friend. Guess what's on in the cinema. This movie is out. We've been dying to see this. Oh my God. We get to go out. We can actually put something on other than our pajamas. And you go and you meet up at the cinema. You walk in, you open the door. So it's the first thing that hits you. The smell of that buttery popcorn. And there's the big thing over there. And that's the one time I allow myself to have a soft drink is when I'm in the movie theater um, because it's just part of the experience for me, the popcorn and the soft drink. And um, 
So you go in and then you get into the cinema and you're, you're sitting there and that movie starts and people are so excited to be out. And now everybody's watching. Maybe it's a comedy and they're laughing. Um, maybe it's a tearjerker and they're crying together. Movie finishes, you go out, you're discussing it. Which one of those experiences is better? The one where you're sitting at home with the surround sound or the one where you've gotten out into the cinema and had that, that full on experience there? Um, you're asking the wrong person because I, I'm, I actually love being a recluse. So it's I, rhetorical I, though, you know, I, it's, I, I would say the home cinema in my own surroundings. <laughs> yeah, I was supposed to be like, uh, <laughs> and for me, I'm like, get me out of here, Percy. I want to be in that cinema, yeah. Yeah. you know, like I, I my know daughter always says to me, mom, sit back on the couch. Cause I'm always sitting on the edge because yeah. I'm like ready to go spring and go somewhere else. And I, I, know I want to touch mean. up on the, yeah. sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. I know what you mean about the whole, cause you know, sometimes I'm sitting here, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on my computer, the internet's on, you know, uh, I'm going into my fridge and there's cold water. I go into my shower. There's hot, there's a hot shower. And I'm like, Oh shit, maybe I've come back to experience an easy life. Um, cause I do feel like for me, everything is so easy. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. even with the little, the, you know, raising a child is not easy. Don't get me wrong. You can have his moments. But as long as I'm, 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 nothing is as important as her. And if there's any stresses that come in, it's like, it doesn't matter. All that matters is her. And that kind of shifts my focus. Um, but yeah, we kind of take all those things, things for granted. But pending, I mean, this is all new civilization for us. So maybe the learning experience is all this new technology or this new, and we, we, you know, it's a forever expanding universe. It's just about the experience. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's like, which one of those two descriptions is better? It depends on who you are and what you're here to experience. For me, the idea of being home for months on end and sitting in there watching it, mm, no thanks. I'm a people person. I want to be out. For somebody who is a recluse who loves to be home and it maybe been working super hard and they just want to have the break and put the feet up, brilliant, you know. But the idea of it is that we're here to experience something. It's not that one is right or one is wrong. We're just here for that experience. And what we're here to experience is going to be different amongst us. But like I said, we're fractals of the same whole. So Noah could be sitting in LA doing her Noah thing. And Mary Helen could be sitting in Ireland doing her thing. And we could have completely different ways that we approach life or live life. Yet our bond is so tight and so close because we recognize that there's no judgment here. And Noah, I think as long as you and I have known each other, you know that there is there isn't, I don't have the capacity to judge anything other than a valuable experience. I've, I've, I'm closer than anyone, you know, than anyone else with, you know, like you and I are so close. I'm not closer than with anyone else. You and I talk about everything. Yeah. And, and when you talk about things that might be uncomfortable, that might be something that you would think others might judge you for. How does it feel when you're able to speak about those things without sitting in judgment where you're able to just talk about it? This is what the life review was like. So that movie that you dread, that's what's really happening. Imagine sitting with someone who loves you so unconditionally and just puts the arms around you and says, talk to me, tell me what you learned from this, what happened. And you're like, Oh, what a relief to see this. And that's what the movie actually looks like. It's not a, it's not coming from a place of judgment. There's no guy in the beard and the, the gavel going, you did that wrong. You know, you're looking at your own performance mm-hmm. going, Hmm, 
that was actually pretty awesome what I did there. If I had the chance to do that again, I probably would do this because I actually can see the ripple effect of what I said there and it wasn't that nice, you know? I'm not beating myself up for it because I'm recognizing that I had literally just come out of this situation, but this is the beauty of being able to see everything simultaneously. And suddenly Mm -hmm. you're letting yourself off the hook and that's what the movie experience is like. It's not one of you judging you. It's you looking around going, I thought they told us that somebody was going to be critiquing our performance Mm -hmm. and judging us and deciding, do we go up or down? And you're like, oh my God, that was all bullshit. (laughs) No, it, you know, it, it, it resonates so well. Like, I, you know, when, when someone says something like that, there's a knowing there of, of when you speak. And to be honest, I'm, I'm inspired by you, Mary. I think you're the shit. You're um, the <laughs> Which brings me to, I have to go because I have someone coming to my house for a COVID test for work that I have to do tomorrow, that they need all that. Um, but Lou has, has more questions for you. So I wanted to say, cause I'm, I'm going to have to hop off here in okay. a minute yep. or two, but I love you. 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 I got all my, um, yeah. questions. I had questions across. Awesome. I wanted everybody to know your story and, um, but I just wanted to say, I love you. Thank you for being on our podcast because you mean the world to me. You are my family. And for everybody listening, Mary is the truest, most honest person you will ever meet. There's no Thank bullshit. You. And, you know, I I definitely wouldn't have the mindset that I have today if it wasn't for meeting Mary and meeting Lou, to be honest. Because actually, Mary, before I met you, um, I was, I was damn near suicidal in 2018 and, and I met Lou right in the beginning of 2019 and him and his wife took me in and they made sure that I came to their house every single, what was it, a Friday or, mm-hmm. um, and we would, we would order our veggie burgers and, and, and we, and, and he really got me out of that depression. And, and the only person that's ever really gotten me through something like that other than Lou is you. So thank you. Um, and thank you for coming on the podcast to share your story. Thank you for having me. I know so many people are going to be inspired by you the way that I am. I know Lou is, is so inspired, but I wanted to say thank you. Um, I have a nurse coming to my house to clear me for this photo shoot tomorrow, but, um, I love you and thank you for being on in my field. I love you. So uh, I want to dive in on um, reincarnational lives. Okay. So, um, you know, um, again, back on what Noah said, I I, I don't think I would fear my life story um, because I feel like everything I'm doing, I'm supposed to be doing. Not with some, you know, I don't put an emphasis on great meaning. I don't want to leave this whole trail behind me. I have no fear about just guiding through life. My people are happy. My family is great. We have everything we need and want. Um, the people around me have the same. Um, and I just maintain this, this, this aesthetic of just being okay and being okay with myself. Um, just like, you know, my appearance now, I don't really give a shit about because I've been locked up. You know, I've got a beard, you know, like I don't, I don't care. And, and, and it's, it's, it's liberating. It is. You know, um, <laughs> I pay someone else to do my socials because I just don't want to do it. Um, so I keep myself in that space consistently. So again, back to your, you know, your healing and stuff. Um, I totally agree with, you can give someone, you know, the recipe, but it doesn't mean they're going to make 
make it and continue to make it and keep building and building. Um, I'd love to dive in on re- reincarnational lives and, you know. I'd like to say right there, Lou, is, is that also people's concept of what healing means is actually kind of bizarre too, because we've gotten, because we're that kind of quick fix, you know, I want it now. I want to be able to get it now. I want my food now. I want everything now. Um, people don't like the idea of putting any kind of work into getting, um, you know, from A to B, as far as their healing goes, um, they want it instantly. And there are some people who have done the emotional work where that is possible. I've done it a million times, do you know? But then there are also people who are just starting that journey. And the idea that healing always ends up with the, the happy ending, that's not what healing actually means. I have assisted people through um, deep, meaningful processes in their death mm-hmm. that were just as healing as turning around and helping somebody get rid of their cancer. You know, um, It's that idea of redefining what it means to be a healed individual. And healed means being whole. Heal means being at peace with something. Heal be, healed means being, you know, atoned at one mint with something. Mm-hmm. And that you recognize that you are literally, like, like we started, the architect of your reality, that you are the one creating this. And to know this is to be healed regardless of the state of the body. Mm, love that. So, uh, again, the, the architects of our universe. So, I, I mean... It's difficult to put it into perspective because I, I know that this, this is real. You know, it's like magic. You know, you are what you think and feel, all that type of stuff. Where was the attraction to, to say, the car accident? Could you pinpoint any thought or feeling or not wanting to be here or understanding there was something else or knew that you had a hyper? Like any of that that could have led to that moment i mean because if you believe in manifestation and from the from the ground up even our appearance every single you know microbe everything in our universe is created by us mm-hmm. you have to believe everything good and bad in your life is also you mm-hmm. so remember step out of um step out of that three-dimensional aspect of me being the creator so yeah. take me into my my true self and that creation and so what happens to me at 21 is i suddenly realize I had given myself until the cliche adult age of 21 to get my stuff together and start doing something good with it. And I didn't. (laughs) And so I come to find out that I'd actually created this portal, this opportunity to die yet not die in order to, to wake myself up to what I'd actually come here to accomplish. So now all of a sudden you've got someone who's just finished four years in you know, art. I was working in TV and, and graphic design. And now all of a sudden I've got the dead grandfather going, Hey, guess what? You're going to go and become a chiropractor. And I'm like, Oh, a, a, a what? <laughs> uh, for a, I am not going back to school. I'm done. And B what a, a chiropractor. What? You're a medical doctor. Can't I at least be a real doctor. What is this? You know, this is my 21 year old self talking. And, um, you know, suddenly I began to realize that my grandfather is going, it is essential. And we, he always talked in we's, we need you to have an understanding of the mind, the body, the spirit working together as a unit. So the allopathic approach to life in the human world is one where we're pieces and parts where we can, we take something out because it's not working rather than working on the core reason as to why it's not functioning properly. Um, we just take it out or we medicate it. 
And we don't want you to learn that model. We want you to learn a vitalistic. And I was like, what is a, I didn't know what vitalism was. You know, what does this mean? And you're going to go to school and find out. And suddenly these concepts in chiropractic school, I'm like, you know, Jacob's ladder and the 33 vertebra and the, the mind and the temple and the idea that the, you know, that that brain is what, what we see in ancient text and scripture that we were taking literally, you know, that this temple that would, we were going to build the Dura Mater, the Pia Mater separated by a veil, that it's all just, you know, this allegorical, beautiful conversation around something that we already possess where the vast majority of people are sitting around waiting for it to happen. And, um, yeah, so it's just, I get so excited there. I'm like, what what are we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I I mean, I love it. This is, this is literally what my wife and I speak about constantly. So, I mean, we're always, always, always working on our mental state. And if Mm -hmm. we're not, if we're feeling a type of way, we talk about it, you know, not a lot of people, you know, it's those movies that you see when the, the, the issue within someone who doesn't speak about it just manifests into this crazy, crazy journey instead of just saying what's on their mind. And I always, right. I always ask the question, I always want to know more. I have a, this thirst for knowledge mm-hmm. um, and I want to div- d- dive into that. And especially like, um, re- especially with reincarnational lives, um, d- do you think we, we I mean, I don't personally believe that past traumas, but, but you're, in terms of, you know, you're right about everything is happening at the same time. So in theory, it's not actually your past is actually now. Correct. Right. So I guess you can carry it into, into your now. Um, I'd love for you to elaborate on that from your experience or from, from your knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I was talking earlier about cellular memory, you know, we have like water has memory, um, that everything has memory. And so we have this thing where we can storehouse a particular trauma from a different experience because it's going to be something that we're going to utilize. Because remember, it's not about everything that's uncomfortable is bad. Remember, we're shifting out of that idea that, oh, well, I didn't get that job or this didn't work out for me or this guy dumped me or this thing happened, you know, that we're moving out of this concept that if it doesn't work out the easiest, the quickest and with the happiest ending, that this is a negative experience, you know, so now we're shifting into this whole other understanding. And so if something can come forward, um, let me give you an example. I had a woman who came to me and um, she came in the front door of my office surrounded by her family. And I mean, literally like a little posse around her with her in the center. Her mom had approached me and said, can you work with my daughter? And I was like, sure. And then she's like, she hasn't been out of the house in two years. Now this was, this could have been your wife, young, married, young children. Everything was fine. Used to drive the kids to school every day. And then all of a sudden she gets up one day. And she gets to the school gate and she stays in the car instead of walking with the kids to the car or to the, to the gate. The next day she stays in the car, kids go, and she goes to the shop and has to park the car outside of the shop in case she has to make a run for it. Within a matter of weeks, she was homebound. And so the doctor said, Oh, it must be depression or it must be, they gave it every name in the book, but the reality of it was this woman who used to could go to the shops and do everything, um, couldn't leave her own home. 
And this went on for two years. And so they literally had to physically remove her from the house to get her to my office. And this family is walking and, you know, around her so that she's in the middle here and get her into the door. And then once she's inside the premises, she was okay. And she looks at me and she goes, I don't know what you or my family think you can do for me in an hour. Uh, I've been like this for the last two years. Um, I don't know why. And I, what they're telling me, the depression that they think that this is, it just doesn't match. I'm not depressed. Um, but I can't go out the door. And so they had put every label that they had available to them on her. And so what happens with me when I'm working with someone and I'm working on this, like a mind movie, I can see in my head, this movie. And, um, I, I, I see dates and locations and I hear names and, um, it unfolds and she's on the table. And next thing I'm in the late 1800s, I'm in, uh, Southwark, London. Mm-hmm. And this woman, um, I recognize is this woman who's on the table here and I'm now in a stairwell. She's dead, covered in stab wounds, skirt above her knee. She's obviously been, um, uh, taken advantage of sexually and murdered. And so I'm like, okay, this woman's already so nervous. I'm like, great. Now I've got to tell her, you know, that we've got this past life thing coming up here. And so she sits up and I said, you know, it's really interesting. This is what came up. This is what I see. And she goes, God, isn't that interesting? Not overreacting. Not, and I'm like, I thought her reaction to it was quite peculiar. And she goes, gosh, I nearly feel sorry for that woman. Me, as you say. And she's like, oh, well, you know, thanks for trying. And she gets up and she grabs her shoes and she walks up to my waiting room. And so she's sitting in my waiting room and she's lacing up her boots. And she goes, God, that story is really wild that you just told. She goes, it kind of sounds like Jack the Ripper, doesn't it? And I went, yeah, it did kind of sound a little Jack the Ripper-ish. And she goes, all right, well, look, thank you. And thanks for trying. And she gives me a big hug and she walks out the door. And she walks out the door. <laughs> and yeah. she walks down the sidewalk. And here's the family in the car, Right. She doesn't even realize that she has gone unassisted out the door, down the sidewalk, waving back. And of course I tear over to the, the laptop and I'm like looking this up because I'd gotten this name. Martha Tabram was this woman's name. So she wasn't one of the, what they called the canonical five, which are the original five with Jack the Ripper, but there had been a murder almost identical to those three weeks prior of a lady named Martha Tabram. Oh, wow. And they're yeah. thinking that she might actually have been the real first victim of Jack the Ripper. But what happens to this lady is her life changes completely. And she no longer is stuck at home. She travels with her family. She takes the kids to school. She got her life back. And so were we in 1897? Were we in 2018? Where were we? I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. What matters is that the woman sitting in front of me reclaimed her life. She walked out that door herself and continues to live in that space to this day. That's, I mean, to me, that's it. I I love it. Like that, that resonates so well. I know like this is the type of stuff that, that is happening. Um, What, in terms of, so, cause you know, I read, I don't know if you read the Seth Speaks books. 
Mm-hmm. You know, set, I, sure. I, I love them. I, I think they're, in, in, I mean, for some, spiritually, it's super intellectual to a point where I'm like, oh shit, I have to reread the whole book again 25 times. And then once you, you've kind of lived for a few years, you want to go back to it because you feel you've advanced more in the spiritual realm mm-hmm. and you, would, you understand more. Do we, I mean, I guess I, I know we retain our personalities as a, when, when we you know, leave physical form. Um, and, and I know with the multiverse, the only true self of us is the one who's aware of all the multidimensional selves. Um, so I know I'm just a fragment of me or an idea of me. Right. Um, I'm love seeing to, the world through your eyes and you're yeah, seeing it through mine. Exactly. So I'd love for you to, I mean, any experiences, any, any, you know, from your experience on, on the multiverse and, you know, different personalities and, you know, for example, myself this morning, I was so tired. The baby woke up at, you know, six in the morning, which is fine. You, yesterday she woke up at five and I was like, I, I wanted to stay in bed for that little extra time. And I put enough energy into that. So there's probably a me who stayed in bed for a couple of extra hours who's now living a life beyond whatever. Right. Um, I'd love to dive in on that with you. Yeah, but you know what? It's, so, it, it's really easy, Lou, to see it in kind of practical everyday terms as well. Mm-hmm. So let, let's take, for instance, you know, when Noah mentioned before that, you know, I'd had COVID in March, I'd flown over, I, had, I was working on actually the audio of my, of my latest book, which we can talk about later. Um, I went over for a three-week trip, which turned into six months, not because I had COVID, but because I went... Well, this is interesting. This is an unprecedented. And I'm in a position to actually do some different work here. So I think I'm going to stay around for a while because I live in LA during the summers. And um, so my daughters finished up school and they came over. So you can remember back then all of the protests are happening. So here sit all of my friends in Ireland going, oh my God, I can't believe you're in, in LA. We're seeing it on the news every day and all of the rioting and it's horrible and everybody's dying. And I'm going, hmm. uh, Okay, that's the LA you're experiencing where you are, but let me be sure to show you. And so I started going out every day with the Facebook Live and going out into the protest going, here's what's actually happening, guys. Look how clean it is. Look how nice everybody's being. Look at them passing out water and bars and, you know, um, just fabulous, totally different experience. But the reality of what they were experiencing, the fear that they got when they watched this, that became the reality of what was happening. It didn't matter what I was saying to them, you mm-hmm. know? And so I wanted my kids to come over and, and take part, regardless of whether they completely understand, you know, my girls are, are they're two white girls who've grown up in Ireland, you know, now mom grew up in the South surrounded by black people and have, you know, a very different perspective of, of that life than what they've been able to experience. And so they wanted at their stage in life to come over, drop in their all for Black Lives Matter. They wanted to be part of it, be in, be in it. They didn't have the practical experience, but they were gelling with it enough to know that it's where they wanted to be and they wanted to be nowhere else. So is the kid who's had to grow up not having privilege, not have, you know, or being disadvantaged because of the color of their skin going to have a different experience of that protest than my daughters are? Absolutely. But they're seeing it through their eyes. My daughters are seeing it through their eyes and they're coming together and they're growing together in this understanding of what we want to become. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is all happening simultaneously. And so lifetimes and, and, and incarnations work exactly the same way. Do you know, all we have to do is look around the way life is working right here in front of us to understand, you know, how the, the, the micro becomes the macro. Mm-hmm. 
I love, I mean, I mean, I love it. It, it, it opens your, your, because again, that, that, that's why religion for me or believing in a religion um, kind of shuts your mind away to asking questions about where we come from. You know, it gives you the definitive answer of where we come from instead of actually exploring it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of got that from when, you know, you were, you were obviously raised in a church um, and then, you know, seeing your, well, hearing your near death, near death experience and you not seeing any of those connotations, which, uh, when some ND, NDEs I've read, you know, they're, they're Catholic or, or when that, you know, when they have an NDE, that light they see is Christ. That's what, that's what they pinpointed to because the beliefs before, right. When they went to that, the, the near death experience, um, but no, I mean, I resonate with that so well. And I, and I think that brings us into our next um, chapter is, is your books. I know you've, you've, you've got some great books out there. You sent me one, which is a children's book, which I, I, I love the concept of. Um, it's called Hugh and Hugh the Humanity. Please, yes. I mean, let's dive in on that. I'm so excited about this one. And it's literally, it's just gone to, it's gone to print like an hour ago. Um, so I'm very excited. This is something that I've wanted to do for so long. And it's the first in a series. It's aimed at ages nine to 12, because I think those are some of the most vulnerable years when we're, when we're growing and developing and starting to discover who we are. And, you know, I, I looked at children's literature and I'm like, it is so not representing all of the kids that are out there that I wanted to write a series, um, that really broke down gender identity and breaking down those stereotypical roles of what it means to be male and female. Mm -hmm. And especially for kids who were kind of growing to this, into this understanding, the world we live in is so different than when you were a child. And when I was a child, do you know, generationally, as we go along, our understanding of the fact that everything's not just as black as black and white as we've tried to make it appear. It never was, but we put so much, we invested so much in making it have the appearance of being, this is what a boy does. This is what a girl does. And so I wanted to write the story. And I came up with this idea when we were celebrating my mother's 90th birthday in Florida. And we were down at a Springs, um, um, DeLeon Springs, just outside of DeLand, Florida. And uh, it was where I actually saw my first manatee when I was a kid, when I was about three. (laughs) And so I've always been in love with those creatures. And I was like, Hugh and the manatee, Hugh manatee, what a great play on words. How am I going to do this? And so Hugh is a little boy who loves theater. He loves um, to paint his nails and, you know, he's the best swimmer on his school swim team. Um, He's got this really interesting life, but he's had this set of bullies who've been after him for years. This, and it happened to be two girls and they catch him down by the Springs with the shoes off on the day before they're getting all getting ready to go back to school. And they see that he has pink toenails and they just start in on him. And so this manatee, beautiful, magical pink manatee comes up out of the water and this undersea water adventure begins because there are so many species of aquatic creatures that are either gender fluid. I learned so much doing this. Um, I, I knew of some and the premise of where I was going with the book. But when I started researching this, I'm like the ancient sea snail, the original transgender that could literally change from male to female at will. Um, and the sea spider where the daddy carries the babies on his legs, not the mommy, you know, <laughs> or the seahorse who, who holds those, um, holds those babies for the duration of the pregnancy. And so I was able to utilize um, 
these examples where the manatee is able to teach the bullies. And what's fascinating about this is that with each lesson that he teaches the girls, they're inside of this magical bubble, there's a tone change. You can hear an audible frequency change within the bubble. And so eventually when the girls um, become the ones who actually end up standing up for Hugh when another bully tries to go for him, Hugh asks the manatee in the end, you know, what's, what's the deal? You know, I was in that bubble too. And they changed so dramatically. They've been horrible to me all of my life. And the manatee says, you know, well, you remember that sound that you heard? Do you remember that frequency? And he said, yeah. And he goes, well, that was the frequency of love. And in the presence of love, anything is possible. And he goes, I see, I see what happened to them, but what happened to me? And he said, love allowed you to let them change. Mm -hmm. And so it's introducing this concept of acceptance and understanding and compassion. Um, and not, not acceptance isn't even the word I want to use because accepting me, well, I'm just going to take you like you are. It's not about acceptance. It's about the fact that we all are what we are. Mm-hmm. And that I want every kid that's out there to be able to pick up a book and see themselves in there in some way, shape, or form. I have a feeling there are going to be a lot of adults who will read this book as well because they didn't have the opportunity as children to see a character that looked like them. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm super excited about that. That's you and the manatee. I love that. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a beautiful story. And, 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 and we talk a lot on, on this show about gender roles and you know, the, the conditioning of what a man or a woman should be or what or whoever, you know, should be. And, and those connotations are always, or those stereotypes are always made by someone who isn't that. Mm-hmm. Like the stereotypes of women is probably created by men. You know, the stereotypes by men are just, again, just, the, I think all roads lead to men. And, 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 you know, and religion, you know, I feel noticed women very super early on. Are, uh, women are more superior, more, more spiritually aware because they give birth to consciousness, to life. And I think religion, if you look at every religion, keeps a woman from achieving her ultimate goal of, you know, duality or spirituality or all that by the conditioning. You know, you have to do this, you have to do that in order to do this. To do that. And, and I mean, we're all guilty of it. We, you know, I have a daughter and it's not like she doesn't have, you know, pink birds on the walls or you know she wears you know dresses and stuff so that's again myself to that um and it's it's hard to uncondition that conditioning and i feel like more education like the book you just spoke about humanity i think the more we have of those in our kind of back pockets the more we can open our awareness to it and really understand you know what these kids are going through and that it's okay that we've grown up and been conditioned there's nothing wrong with the fact that that's what we've come from Mm-hmm. It's our responsibility of what we're moving towards. And so that's why, you know, like in the next book that I'm um, Lou of Lanigan's farm that follows up Hugh, you know, there's a story about, um, you know, Lou is a, is, is a, a young Maybe. girl who likes other <laughs> girls. Yeah. And, you know, Lou's mom is uncomfortable with this, not because she's prejudiced so much, but because her brother was gay and she watched how her brother was treated and the story that unfolds into why the mother feels the way that she does. And sometimes nine times out of 10, it's not the, not because of what we think it is. It's not because that person is inherently prejudiced or they're bad or they're, you know, they're closed minded and awful. It's because there's some trauma that happened in their own lives that has, has, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And so it's, I'm trying to cover all aspects of that. Um, so that, uh, 
Yeah, so that everybody can find themselves in those stories now. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it. And you have a, an audio book as well coming. To yes, Portugal. this is my, my piece de resistance. I'm so <laughs> excited about this because this is the first time in Amazon Audible history that there's been a book like this. And so um, this book is published by Lisa Hagen Books in the States and Book Hub Publishing here in Ireland. And it is about my healing sessions. And it is, some of the stories are just unbelievable. Like the one I told you about the Jack the Ripper, the case, you know, that case. And there are all these things that are true stories that you just, you couldn't make up. You literally couldn't make up. But what's so interesting about this is that the work that I do when I'm in a healing session, we've talked a lot about frequency. As I told you, frequency is my life. Everything I do is about positively manipulating frequency in order to help someone help themselves. Mm -hmm. And so with the help of signs music, um, which is Greg Papagna um, in Los Angeles, who's a music producer who is extremely on the same wave, everything he does, he's tuned in four, three, two, and he's a frequency guru. And he um, helped put together these frequencies um, using some of the ancient solfeggio frequencies um, using, you know, every organ in the body, the human body is, has its own little roadmap and there are frequencies. DNA has its own resonance. The liver has its own resonance. Um, everything that we do, emotional states, grief, fear, guilt, anger, shame, they resonate at 396 Hertz, mm. um, you know, human DNA at 528 Hertz. So what we did with this audio is as you're listening to these stories, let's say I'm talking about an 80 year old mother who is finally coming to terms with the fact that she had to terminate a pregnancy in the sixties in Northern Ireland and the, the shame and the angst and the grief and the depression that she's carried and her friend, her family just thinks, you know, we're so sick of mom being depressed. They don't even know that there's a story. And so imagine somebody's listening to that story and there's some aspect of their, their life where it might not be the same story, but the same feeling. And the frequency to help heal that feeling is playing behind the audio. And so that's why I'm so incredibly excited about this because it's never been done before. So it's taking someone from an audible audio experience and immersing them fully into a, a mind, body, spirit, emotional state where they're able to integrate this information and these frequencies into their own lives that make them look for more. Oh, hang on a second. I just felt different when I listened to that. I just felt connected. I just, gosh, that made me think about that time when I was 12. And it starts bringing things up that allows people to open up a new process in order to heal. Mm, I love that. I know you, you, you've sent me the, the sneak peek and I, I listened to that. Yes. Uh, and it's, it's amazing. I mean, hearing the, the, the voice and then the music behind it, it's not, not something I've heard before. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm into all of that stuff. So I do my breathing exercises and then I'll put an audio book on, uh, and just zone out. Um, and sometimes, you know, it could feel like 10 minutes is gone. It's like two hours. Oh yeah. Um, I'm a, to I'm a total audio head. I love, I love it. But I was like, what can we do different? And since frequency is everything that I do, I was like, it's time to do this. And so, um, with Greg's assistance and with all of his creation with, um, with the signs music, um, which if anybody's interested in looking at the signs music, S I N E S signs music.com. Um, there's all sorts of healing frequencies and meditations and all sorts there. Um, but he is really taking it to the next level as far as 
what we're doing with audio, but also in your industry, you know, through music in the way we tune um, something where somebody's not just now hearing an album, they're feeling an album yep. and the possibilities there are endless. And that's how we each contribute to healing the world in our own ways. We're raising that vibe collectively and um, understanding is the new healing for me was a book I always wanted to write because mm-hmm. it really gave a great sampling of, of, of the human spirit because some of these are past life experiences and some of these are people who have had bona fide encounters with, with beings that are not from this world. Um, you know, there are, there's a story in there for everybody, but there's also a frequency in there for everybody because backing each of those is not just the frequency, but also a brainwave state. So I can take someone and put them in a gamma state or in a, um, in a beta state, you know, we don't use theta or delta waves because they'll put you to sleep, you know, into a deep meditative state. And, and we want people to be able to listen to these while they're driving and all, but we can alter, we can actually change the way that the body experiences the information. So rather than just the words talking at you, yep. you are now feeling the message behind the words. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly. And, and your, your book, um, understanding is the new healing is actually my next book I'm reading. Ah, great. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I've, um, the reviews are amazing. So whoever, if you listen to this, please go get it. It's, uh, it's definitely, I mean, it's, anyone who's into NDEs or, you know, search for meaning or any stories or any of that type of stuff. Cause you know, you find with a bunch of NDEs that they don't really talk about it mm-hmm. because it's not something they can talk about, which I understand completely. Um, I want to, I want to touch up on, um, suicides just because of my personal experience <clears throat> with suicides is, you know, I had my older brother had a best friend used to always stay in my bed and, you know, we were, you know, I, my, my mom was a single parent with five, five boys. So we were, you know, we were always out and about and doing our thing. Um, and then he, I guess one day he, I think he was 17, 18, 17. Um, you know, he hung himself. So. And it would play, it played on my mind when I was young for so long, for so long. And he visited me in a dream. Um, and he came to me in death form, which I think it was my fear of not death itself. It was the dead body being so I was young. Um, and he looked like death and he you know, he was in the corner of the room and I was in my bed. We had these bunk beds at the, at mm-hmm. the time. And I just remember him saying just, you know, I shouldn't have done it. I, I shouldn't be here. I don't want to be here anymore. And I, and I remember saying to him something like, it's okay, you're going to be okay. And then I woke up and I was like, oh my God, that was like insanely creepy for someone who's so young. Mm-hmm. But I knew it wasn't, it wasn't a fear. It, you, know, you know, it's like the, the concept of the body rather than the actual body itself. Right. Um, I'd love to touch up on, on any experiences you've had with people Ugh. who have, you know, suicides or, or, or that, that connotation. I'd love to elaborate on, on that. Just yeah, I, I, I tend to be a port of call for that. Um, <laughs> had my, my fair share of, of people over the years. I've been doing it for so long that you couldn't help but yeah. uh, because it's such a, a, a big part. And one of the things that I will say is um, at the risk of being called, which I have been before, a suicide advocate, which is like just somebody trying to put something into a little box because you have a different dialogue about the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you hear the word and you should go, Oh my God, it's awful. And they're selfish and the da, da, da. And I can't do that, you no. know, because I've seen it from so many different angles and I'm like, 
why is it not okay for the guy who hung himself not to be buried in the churchyard, but then the person who ate at McDonald's every single day and exploded their heart with cholesterol and, you know, um, lived in an abusive relationship or did whatever. Why don't we call that slow suicide? Why don't we call that, you know, why is one acceptable socially and the other isn't? Or if somebody smoked 500 cigarettes a day and then ended up with lung cancer and died from that, you know, we're like, Oh God, they died from cancer. And you know, Oh, how sad that was, you know, knowing what we know about that. Um, and it's so interesting how we've put these little man-made perceptions on what's an acceptable way to die or not. And it's just, it's just absolute craziness, you know? So what I discovered during that death experience was, you know, if we're going to boil it down to kind of two types, there's a kind of two experiences of suicide. One of those being what we would call a soul plan suicide and the other being a suicide by overwhelm, which ultimately is still going back to a soul plan. But where if you have as a soul, an idea that you're going to come in, let's say I'm going to come in and I'm going to be Mary Helen for a hundred years. And um, I want to do this, 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 and this while I'm there. These are the, these are the experiences that I want to have in that incarnation. And then when I leave, I'm going to have a stroke. And that's how I'm going to get out of here. And then there could be the next person who goes, okay, I'm coming in with my, my soul family and they're trying to learn X, Y, and Z. I don't actually want to be there that long because I'll, I'll have what I need to get out of that lifetime by the time I'm 18. So when I'm going, I see that they're trying to work on compassion and judgment and this and that. So why don't I be the one who leaves via my own hand? Mm-hmm. So that they, I can gift them with the opportunity to work through that. That is a very, very hard concept for somebody to digest, especially mm-hmm. someone who's lost someone to suicide, right? But when you think about it and you break it down, it's like, you know, why do we deify one person um, in their death? Because it was one that we're more comfortable with. Yet we turn around and, you know, we vilify the next person who just went, I'm done. You know, I don't want to be here anymore. And now I am done. And one of the interesting things was that I actually did a, um, a talk the other day in speaking about those who deal with people um, who are in a suicidal state on a frequent basis, because I'd had a session with a couple in Europe and I found it fascinating so much so that I wanted to talk about it because he had been suicidal actively attempting for over a decade and his wife of 33 years was so over it and sat in front of me nearly looking for a witness to go, you know what? It's okay for you to be done with this. Mm-hmm. And I, I spoke to people and acknowledged, you know, I'm, I want to give a shout out to the people who have to go through people who are, you know, life with somebody who's always threatening, always want, cause it's exhausting. You know, and especially when you're trying to keep yourself afloat and you're dealing with your own challenges and you're waking up and fighting the good fight every day. And you're also helping to emotionally carry somebody else who's not in there. Well, what happens is at some stage you finally go, you either want to be here or you don't. And what's very interesting is to every person who's ever been dropped on my doorstep who was suicidal. When I have had that very real and very blunt conversation with them, I haven't lost anybody that way yet. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what death looks like. Let me tell you what happens when you actually die. Do you know? Let me tell you what happens when you die via suicide. 
it actually looks exactly the same as somebody who died because they got shot or they had a heart attack or they did this. You go through a process and the only thing that's different is when you've just exited that body and you're looking back and you're going, you have that sudden realization, damn it, I've got to go and recreate that same feeling again because I'm the one who put myself there. Mm. Nobody forced me to, to come to Mother Earth. Nobody forced me to be that guy. I chose that. Oh my God. Oh yeah. And I got so overwhelmed in that moment or whatever um, that I ended things. And now the second that you're out of those circumstances, you look back and you go, oh yeah. And so I see people recreate lifetimes where they're coming in in a different set of circumstances and they arrive to a place where they potentially could exit via suicide, but then they choose differently because they realize, why would I take that away from myself when I'm the first person who wanted to be here to, to do this stuff anyway? And when you're really honest with people, isn't that a foreign concept nowadays? Just be honest with them. We tiptoe around. We're so afraid. We can't say this. You know, what if you say that to somebody, they, they go kill themselves. I'm pretty okay with myself that that's not my fault. I'm yeah. pretty okay with myself that if they're in a space that that's what they're going to do, that nothing that I say or do is going to make that happen or not, you know? Um, but what I do know is that when we are honest with somebody who was feeling that way and we show them how the process actually works and we remind them that you actually chose to be here. I would never choose the hardship. I never would have chosen to be raped. Really? I beg to differ. I never would have chosen for my father to molest me. Really? Because the work that you're doing now and the lives that you're changing depended on that kind of angst as a child. The person that you've grown into, albeit one that's, you know, a, a life that might be uncomfortable, is so valuable and so relevant. And this is what we've all forgotten is that, you know, every one of us is valuable. Every one of us is contributing this unique perspective. And so when we get to people who are like, I don't matter. I mean, nobody would care if I take my own life. You know, I'm just a burden. We hear that, you know, um, or I can't do this anymore. We're hearing a lot of that right now. I'm so tired of this virus. I can't see an end. I can't see a job. I can't see a, a this. And that, you know, they spiral into that dark space. Yeah. It's very easy to remind them. Okay. Let's, let's say you do kill yourself. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Exactly. And they're like, are you supposed to say that out loud like that? If you haven't noticed, I'm, I'm blunt. If I'm anything, let's talk about what that looks like. And a soul plan suicide is one where you're not going to be sitting here chatting around to everybody about it. And you're not going to attempt it 25 times and fail. That's not a soul plan suicide. Okay. A soul plan suicide is the one that slipped quietly away and you go, Oh my God, I didn't even know he was suffering. I didn't know there was this, I did, it, it, you know, or there's the auntie that goes, I always knew it from the time he was a kid. I knew that's how he'd go. Mm -hmm. You know, generally that's how a soul plan suicide looks like. And so when we've got one that's by overwhelm, it's that split second where somebody became so overwhelmed that the finger was shaking and they accidentally hit the trigger or they stepped off the chair, but meant to get back onto it and couldn't get there. They, they just had to go to that edge and something happened in that, in that moment. And all that happens to these souls is that they are bathed in that same wash of beautiful light yep. and that understanding only they get back and they go oh my gosh I want to go back in put me back in coach now I remember what I was meant to do there so so n n you know not tormented um, life tormented soul no 
Okay. I mean, that's reassuring for sure. Um, because that, that Lou then goes on that whole kind of idea of the separation. There's a, a good, there's a heaven, there's yes, a hell, there's that true. purgatory that it just, in my experience, I can't say it for everybody, but in my experience of what beyond look like, that's it wasn't that that's made up. It's yep. not there. Exactly. Um, so in terms of, uh, I mean, I want to touch up on you, you can speak to people not in physical form, mm-hmm. right? Is, is mm-hmm. it, is, is there a specific guidance you have or is it, you know, people randomly come to you or is it specific to that person in that moment? Um, I'd love the education, but (laughs) all of it. Okay. All of those, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where, um, it it can come out of the blue. Mm -hmm. I can, I can look for it if I want to. I, it, it's such a part of my working life and all that. I don't usually actively go looking for it. Um, my my relationship with my grandfather is still very much intact. He is very much so the individual that I bounce. He's my sounding board, um, you know. But for somebody, let's say, who comes in for a healing session and they are desperate, desperate to connect with somebody who has passed. And what what they've got to understand and what I will say to them is that might not be what is for your highest interest today. Mm-hmm. just because you are so desperate because then I, I have people who come and I might be number 10 on the list of people who are psychic or medium or, or whatever that they've come to. And I'm like, do you think this is healthy what you're doing? You know, because you got a message from the last person. Yeah, but I want to hear more. It wasn't enough. And I said, so you bounce to the next person. And this keeps that person in this constant state of trying to connect. And what they've actually forgotten is they can't be disconnected. You yeah. can't disconnect from the divine. Yeah. I and get, so, sorry. Can, no, go, yeah, go ahead. I'm no, just saying it's, it's something that's, yeah, it's a regular part of what I do, but sometimes people will come in looking for one person and it'll be someone completely different who turns up because that's who they needed to hear from. That's, I love those stories. That's amazing. It's, it's, yeah, because my mom used to, I'm, I'm super close with my mom and, and she, you know, she lost her mom when she was five. And she would take me around to these, you know, Derek Acora live and all these kind of, you know, these, um, and I could see her in, in anticipation, um, just wanting an answer or, or, or something to come mm-hmm. to her from that. And it used to make me like really upset because I'd be like, you know, because um, I couldn't, I, 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 I can't experience <coughs> experiencing, um, you know, so she, she, you know, that was such a hardship for her to experience for her whole life and not having a mom and growing up in an orphanage and all these type of things, mm-hmm. being her cunidly search for that meaning. And, you know, I'd speak about all this type of stuff with my mom too now. And we have such a great relationship in terms of, you know, getting her to not fear, fear death. And, you know, we will all, whoever you want to see in the next mm-hmm. life, you'll see, uh, whoever you don't, you, you won't, um, whoever, you know, um, I'd love to tap in a little bit uh, into your gifts on if there's anything that comes to you for that. I mean, I'm not trying to get a reading or anything. Yeah, no, no, I understand. I actually wrote, I wrote a book with a a few friends in 2018 called bringing death to life because it was a dialogue that we needed to have. And it was so funny because um, our publishers Hachette um, here in Ireland and and in the U S they were like, you know, are are people going to buy this? We went to number one the first week (laughs) because people wanted to talk about it. No. You know, they wanted to, to quell that fear and they wanted to move out of that space where we've made death something that is, a, is to be avoided. And it's something that's so awful because we associate it with that separation as opposed to, I see it because I've been there, done that. 
it's like for me walking out of this room into the next room. And so I just, um, you know, can I understand when someone has lost somebody and they're grieving? Sure. But I can also understand, like take my mom, for instance, you know, she was married to my father for 70 years and they had a beautiful marriage and they were, you know, just a, a power couple. But at 91, she's just written her first book. She's been back and forth to Ireland on numerous occasions. My father ended up with Alzheimer's. And so that last five, five years of their marriage was incredibly difficult. And so my mom, if I sat her down and I was like, mom, you know, what if dad came back tonight? She'd be kind of like, well, you know, she Mm -hmm. did 70 years in that magnificent story. And I'm sure if you caught her on a given day, she might say, you know, I'll give anything to have him back. But I've never heard her speak like that because her understanding of death and the process and knowing that she now, after all of those years, had the opportunity to be herself for the first time since she was 21 years old, just to be her, to make her own decisions, to unfold in the way that 91-year-old Helen was going to unfold, that there's a beauty in that as well. Here in Ireland, you know, we still do the waking thing. So death is about a three-day process where you're having tea and sandwiches, you know, leaning up against the coffin and the kids run into the room and they're, hi, Nanny, I love you. And they're kissing the corpse. And it's so normalized yeah, that it's not something that we spend. So you don't see the same kind of carry on over here that you do in the States where we're, we're trying to keep someone hooked up and alive at all costs, mm-hmm. do you know? And they don't do that so much here. It's kind of, they have the the capacity to allow someone to die in a space that is safe, loving, dignified, um, and not one where we're just pumping them full or keeping them hooked on something just to appease ourselves or to make us, you know, um, to take away our pain. Um, and so I think that's a very important thing to acknowledge about, about what death actually is. And so when people are constantly seeking somebody out, you know, that's the first thing. I just want to know if they're okay. And I'm like, really? And they'll be like, Oh, I've read all of your stuff. And I'm like, and you still don't know they're okay. (laughs) Oh, well I do. I do know they're okay. But I just, you know, is there anything, is there anything specific, you know, and then depending on the person or what that individual needs, something very specific might come through. Like, Hey, your dad died on the toilet while he was eating a ham sandwich, you know, like, um, and stuff like that has happened so that they can identify or some little quirky, um, quirky thing. And then there are those who don't need that. There are those who just need that to be in the space where it's okay to be okay with their loved one being gone. Because that's very hard because in their own surroundings in their own homes around their own family members, um, that's not as, as easy as one might think, you know, um, it might be more difficult for them to be okay with somebody being dead when somebody else is immersed in such deep grief. Mm-hmm. It's like when we were talking in the beginning right now, I've had the best 2020 ever I have had. And it's like, you, you say it kind of quietly because you know, there's people who died and there's people who, you know, but if we're real about it, hasn't there always been suffering going on? Just because people are suddenly aware of it and it's on their doorstep, you know, was Yemen not happening? You know, was Syria not happening? It's that we have this shift in awareness because it's on our doorstep. And so I think it's very interesting how we tend to hide grief that way or we tend to hide our suffering that way because we don't want to look like we're having a good time when somebody else is hurting. 
Yeah. And so death, I think, is the very same way. And there's there are people who they they're okay with it. And they are, it's okay to ask, you know what? I know my grandmother's okay. I know she's, I know she's fine because I live this premise. This isn't just me hoping, here's hoping on a, on a Tuesday that grandma's okay. I actually live this. And you strike me as someone who embodies and practices what you preach, or at least attempts to always put that into play. And so for you, do you know grandma's okay? You do. Do you know? I've never, I mean, I've never really like I wouldn't know her, but I'm saying in general. Do you know? Like I think you understand. I know everyone that. is. Did I mean, you I think know. anybody was plunged into darkness and, um, you know, that's them for the rest of eternity? No, 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 absolutely not. It's only because of that dream of 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 a friend who you know committed suicide, where it put me in a space of not death per se, but taking mm-hmm. your own life. If that makes sense. Absolutely, um, and you're doing that from a child's perspective. And yeah. so, what is that child going to see? Only that kind of dead grotesque type figure. And, you know, you're going to take everything that you've heard so far in this lifetime and you're going to create a package. And then, you know, like I said before, a million times, we're architects of our own reality. So you then build and construct what that death looks like to you. Yes, exactly. And then you grow and you mature and you become this guy and you're like, huh, interesting. I bet he's not still kind of hanging around, you know, I bet it's not like that anymore. I bet it's not like it never was. Yeah. You know, he was fine all along. Um, just, just one more question before we go. Um, yeah. so on the, 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 when you're in the near death experience and obviously you're in this plateau of, you know, seeing through your life, seeing what's going on and the question between returning or not returning. Mm-hmm. Is there any inclination from there of, of the opposite of you coming back? So you saying, I'm not coming back. I want to pass on. Where is that passing on to? Excellent question. Very good. Because what you and I and most people who would be familiar with any kind of organized religion here, we would think of, you know, when we're talking about that final destination, heaven or nirvana or whatever, that's exactly what it's been painted as a final destination. What was so interesting about this process was that it was like landing in Grand Central Station. So it's like, here you are, we're, we're in this room and we're doing this review and all this. And now you can carry on, you know, take that train there or are you going back? And it was very much so my choice to go back. I wasn't forced to go back. I was, I wanted to go back because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have a ball now that I remember all this stuff. And what happens to a lot of people who have that near death experience is they go through it and they'll come back and they can just talk about the love. They're so overwhelmed. And I get that. They, they can just connect with the feeling and that's okay because maybe their life's plan is taking them in such a direction where it's not going to be that integral part of the work they do or whatever. So they're left with the feeling for me. I was getting, I was coming back in and they're going, Hey, guess what you're going to be able to do. We're going to send you back and you're going to be able to touch somebody and download their hard drive. And we're going to be able to pull information from this lifetime and this lifetime or from this childhood experience and explain to them why that they're why they're not functioning properly. Okay, that's great, you know. And so you have this opportunity to um, have that experience or not, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I want that. That sounded amazing. The idea of coming back here now, having been back here all you know, 29 years after that. Now I've lived longer in that kind of experience than I didn't, you know. Um, 
and it's, there've been times when it's been a little lonely. It's been a little hard because you're, you're seeing the world from a different perspective and you're just going, Oh gosh, I just wish you could see this. Yeah. But it's like, it's like, you know, you have a young child, you have to have patience with that child. You don't get angry at that child because she can't do algebra yet. <laughs> and so you have this grand, vast knowing of how all this stuff works. And so you have to walk through, walk placidly amidst the noise and not take it personally and not make it about you or your ego when somebody can't get what you're trying to say. And I have been placed in my place many times because of that, you know, because I, Oh God, if you could just see, Oh no, don't be sad. God, you know, like if you could just mm -hmm. see what's coming, but you can't unwrap somebody's Christmas presents for them. It's that art of anticipation. It's teaching patience and the unfoldment and what actual faith means. You know, what it means is that you already are that which you seek. And you're going to come to that understanding in your own time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My job is to come here and help drop some little hints and provide some tools in order to help you get into that space. And that's what I agreed to come back and do. That's Happily. amazing. I mean, to, uh, Mary, this has honestly been amazing. You've blown my mind. I, I love these conversations. I thrive off them. Anytime. Where I need to be. <laughs> Um, uh, I'd love for you to just, you know, where can people find you, uh, people who are listening, you know, further books, reading, how can okay. they get in touch? Yeah. Well, it's, it's simple. It's Mary Helen Hensley.com. And, um, you know, so keep your eyes open that, uh, by the time this podcast is out, I will have just gone live with the audio book, um, that'll rock your socks with the frequencies. That's understanding is the new healing. Hugh and the Manatee will be out. I have a book called Promised by Heaven, which talks all about that accident and the unfolding of those experiences. And my, my website is quite active. All of the frequency work that I do is up there. Um, you know, and just, I'm just really excited to be here and be part of, of this process, you know, to be creating literature and creating music and creating things with this new understanding of frequency in order to help people who might not be able to intellectually understand something, but they can know it in their heart. They can feel it to be true. And then they grow into that understanding. Wow. Um, I'm just, I'm so happy to be part of that. And I'm just so grateful to have this opportunity to share on this platform, because I know there are a lot of people out there and, you know, and I know we were talking about suicide earlier and it could be a little bit risky when you're talking about that and you're like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to be responsible. I don't feel responsible for pushing somebody one way or the other. What I want people to hear is that you are loved. You are divine. You are eternal. And while you might get to a space where you feel so dark and so disconnected, I can promise you that if you can move through and manage to get out of that space, even to catch one little glimmer of light, that there is a purpose and a reason behind you being here. There is nobody who is here who is not here for some part of the bigger picture. And I think if we can remember that, um, it becomes a lot less tempting to, to check out because you want to stick around and see how it unfolds because it does. And the one thing we know is that all of us will be leaving here at some stage, all of us, you know, so it's, you can either do that faster or you can do that slower. You can do that in joy or you can do that in sorrow. It's a choice. You're literally the architects of your own creation and you're choosing every single day.
Love it. I love it. My, my, my wife and I say the same thing. We say we're both going to go out at the same time. <laughs> Regardless. I've seen it. I've seen <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. But um, uh, Mary, you're incredible. I want to thank you so much. Um, really thank you so much for coming on In My Feels. Thank you so much for having me.